You're listening to Limitless Leaders Podcast. Accelerate your mindset, collaboration and performance by developing limitless self-leadership, leaders, teams and organizations. Now, over to your host, Renee Jerusso. Welcome to the Limitless Leaders Podcast. From wherever you're chiming in from, I cannot wait to share with you today the guest that we have on being Fleur Hazelwood. Welcome, Fleur. Thank you for having me. Pleased to be here. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this. So I want to just give give our listeners and viewers a bit of a background on you. So you're a leadership expert, keynote speaker and founder of the Blueberry Institute. And Fleur partners with leaders to create healthy, high-performing teams. She's known for building positive performance cultures that deliver both well-being and commercial results and has trained over 3,000 people in positive leadership, future fit, resilience and mental health mastery. For over 20 years corporate leadership experience, she's led many successful organisation turnarounds and culture transformations. Fleur firsthand understands the challenges of change uncertainty, team stress, and top talent burnout. Her clients value her accessibility, practicality, and skilled use of lessons that work in real life. So important. So Fleur's debut book, Resilience Recipe, A Practical Guide to Better Personal Wellbeing, won Best Health and Wellbeing Book in 2022 at the Australian Business Book Awards was also a runner-up for Business Book of the Year. Her follow-up book, which I'm very excited about, is Leading Wellbeing. And this is all about giving leaders a resource to master mental health conversations at work. And I think that's so important right now, especially. So welcome, Fleur. Thank you, Renee. Pleased to be here talking all things well-being at work. Yes, big, big topic at the moment and one that's just so relevant. Before we jump into it, I'd love to just get a really sort of brief understanding. How have you got to be doing what you're doing today? So over the course of navigating various corporate roles and companies through good times, challenging times, easy times and tough times, one of the underlying realisations that came to me was that we can only sustain good work when Mm. we treat ourselves and other people well. And we've started to see a shift more towards understanding that need for wellbeing as well as results at work, but we're still operating with those industrial age models and paradigms, which is around we measure KPIs and outputs and results and sales and targets and things first, and then with whatever we have in terms of the cracks that are left in our time, we then turn our attention to our well-being and our people's well-being. But the reality is, is the environment that we're in now, and I like to think of myself as an early adopter, but not an early adopter in a good way, so I had... um, I had my burnout um, experience so like 10, 12 years ago where I became extremely sick and unwell. And that happened during a time before burnout even existed as a definition by the World Health Organization. 
But what we're seeing is throughout the pandemic, we've all shown that we can dig deep and continue to do well. So our productivity levels have gone up, but also exponentially our burnout levels, our exhaustion, and we're seeing a lot more press and media over people being more willing to share their mental health illnesses and, and issues that have been coming through. And so I learned the hard way and what I care about and why I'm here today and doing what I'm doing Mm. is that burnout is not an acceptable price for success. No. Not only is it not an acceptable price for success, but well-being instead of being looked at as a reward for performance is actually an enabler of performance. Mm. So high performance isn't sustainable without the healthy. Yeah, you're spot on there. And I think I, I have a bit of a mantra around people before process, before progress. And I think you're right. There's, and especially post pandemic, there's, you know, more people, uh, sorry, people doing more, let people being taken out, you know, over performers being punished, so to speak, you know, do more, do more with less. Um, and I think something else that I've, I've really noticed, especially of late, um, are a lot of, a lot of leaders are just, they're just focusing on the bottom line, you know, with the economy in Australia or globally and it's to the detriment of the people. Without them, they've got nothing, right? So it's, yeah. Absolutely. And it's also not surprisingly surprising or surprisingly it's not surprising (laughs) that that. (laughs) yeah that um people are doubling down on the bottom line because that's what we know Mm. and that's what we've been trained in and as you would know working in the leadership space as well most leaders are trained in how to do stuff yeah how to deliver stuff how to get stuff done what's the process that I need to learn and figure out to be able to deliver stuff We're also expected to look after ourselves and our people, but we actually don't get the same kind of training, clarification, clear expectations, measurements and supports and all those types of things for the important people aspect of it. So we tend to double down when we're stressed on the things that we know and avoid the things that we don't. Yeah, and it's that defaulting under pressure, yeah. I'd love to ask you, you know, a a lot of our listeners and our viewers are leaders um, and I believe everyone's a leader. We're all a leader of self. How much, you know, what can leaders do to look after them? I always say, who's looking after the leader? Absolutely. So I am a big fan and one of my most common mantras in my workshops, particularly with leaders, is we need to put our own oxygen mask first before we help others. Yeah which is the reverse of how many of us leaders actually go to work, which is what do I need to do? Who do I need to touch base with? Mm. Who do I need to support? Who's not okay? Who needs more help? And how do I make sure Mm. that the people in my team aren't overwhelmed or sinking underneath burnout? And so what's happening with us as leaders is that we are actually the people that are most in um, danger of of burning out because we have the focus on everyone else first. Yeah, yeah. And so as leaders, the first thing that we need to do is actually recognise that we are actually our most important asset. Yeah. And if you were to think of yourself as a racehorse as opposed to a person or a leader or a manager going to work, if you have a racehorse which you ran every single day 
and you didn't brush its coat, you didn't give it its vitamins, you didn't swim it, uh, you didn't um, give it all the support, you didn't have the physio, the expensive vets and all the other things that would keep your racehorse in prime condition, you would be described as negligent. Yeah. And actually, yeah, and actually if you were the owner of that racehorse, Mm. you'd be in trouble, wouldn't you? Yeah. And so one of the things that I encourage leaders to think about is rather than yourself as being last, as you being the racehorse and the asset that is going to propel your team forward. And are you doing those basic things that you need to do in order to make sure that that you are well? Yeah. So it's just so important. And especially, and I know you'd see this as well, a lot of leaders I'm working with, people are, like you said, people have suppressed a lot of things over the years. They're expressing these things now. And you know, even, and you'd come across these leaders that are sort of like, they're telling me everything now. So they're also getting so much thrown at them that wasn't thrown at them before. What do you say to leaders who have a team that are really vulnerable and open, which is great, but to the point that the leader's like, I don't know what to do with this? So there's a couple, couple of things to, to unpack within that. The first thing is it's really difficult to manage an external environment that we haven't defined and put some priorities and boundaries around. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that we're doing as leaders is we're reacting to what's thrown at us as opposed to actually taking a bit of a, a bit of a breath or taking a deep breath and actually having a look at what's core in terms of what we need to be doing and our teams need to be doing. Yeah. What are the things that our team wants to be doing mm. in terms of stretch or learning or overachieving in the areas that we care about? And what's just noise? Yeah. Yeah. Because one of the things that I'm finding, particularly now coming out of the pandemic, we've all demonstrated that we're really flexible and good and we're really good at digging deep on stuff that we don't know how to do. Now that we're coming into this financial and economic insecurity. Now that we've demonstrated that we can do that, we're having more of that external noise thrown at us and we actually need to stop and work through and get a lot stronger in terms of prioritising what we need to be doing mm. and what our teams need to be doing and yeah. how the rest of it does or doesn't fit into our workload. Mm. And so I'm a really big fan of and one of my one, one, one of the things that I work with a lot in my workshops is that we're, if we're starting to head towards burnout, it's not about balance, it's about boundaries. Yeah, spot on. I agree. Yeah. So when we don't have the clarity and we're allowing other people's priorities to squash ours or to, I guess, confuse ours, that's when we start becoming a little bit more unstuck. And if we do have teams that are vulnerable, um, those that boundary creep is what's going to, to, to make them more susceptible to the challenges along the way. Yeah. It's so important. I always say boundaries are like speed humps on a road. If you don't have them, you go out of control. And it's just what's okay and what's not okay. And also learning what to say no to. Like my all my clients, we do a no list and we don't do a to-do list, we do a to-be list. And people find that so unfamiliar, but it's actually quite simple. But you're right, it's the way we're being wired and then we default under under that pressure. Have you seen leaders putting boundaries in place where you've seen it really work for them? So where boundaries work 
well is when leaders take the time to do their stakeholder consultations around what is strategically important, what is BAU important, and what is day-to-day important, and then spend the time communicating those layers to their teams and working as a team to talk about what will we do and what won't we do for each of these three areas. But then as a leader also then having the courage and the conviction to go back and re-socialise what your team is at, where your team is at, what you commit to doing and what you don't commit to doing. Because then that gives the day-to-day clarity and empowerment to your team to know and be able to say the no's when they need to say the no's and the hell yes for the things that are really, really important. And have that transparency of who's saying no to what because, you know, if you go off and do it secretly, there's no accountability. There's usually no discipline. Um, I love that. And I think it's collaborative too. You know, I, I always say, People say, Renee, can you come and help our culture for an hour? I say, get a comedian. You'll get more out of that. And they sort of laugh. And I'm like, or create together, get curious together because the byproduct of that is collaboration. So the process of all these things you're talking about, bringing them to life, really it serves so many purposes, which which is awesome. I loved a quote in your book. High performance is not sustainable unless it is healthy high performance. It sounds so simple, but it isn't, is it? Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things I think most of us throughout our leadership journey have um, been taught or learned in the programs that we do is what the attributes or the characteristics and the skills are that we need to do in order to achieve high performance. But what we haven't been taught and what we haven't been learning is how to make sure that we are healthy and our teams are also well along the way. Mm. And one of the things that we are starting to see now, and um, I'm genuinely concerned that the wheels are starting to fall off for many people and organisations at the moment. We only need to see some of the interesting media um, media articles at the moment, you know, around companies like, you know, Atlassian and so forth that have done such a massive correction over, you know, almost like overcorrection around, you know, we've been looking after our, our, our people well, but their accountability structures haven't necessarily been that tight through to almost like this, you know, full swing cycle from human beings to human capital. Yeah, yeah. The problem that we have is is that it's human beings that produce work. Mm. And by this focus, which is now purely on high performance and how do we get business working and how do we get the economy restarted, we're not actually taking into account that we have a workforce that is experiencing exhaustion and burnout from, I hate the word pivoting, but let's go, you know, all this pivoting and relearning relearning during COVID, right? Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And we are expecting higher results out of people whose productivity is deteriorating with burnout. And one of the things that we know is it's generally our high performers that burn out first. That's right, yeah, yeah. And so unless we are making sure that our ways of working and relating and people have healthy routines in place that support energy and flow and motivation, 
We cannot possibly continue to perform and add growth onto our performance year on year. It's obtainable, but it's not sustainable. You know, it's that whole that whole thing. And I think um, I'm really big into ways of working and not a tick and flick, but regular check-ins um, and even rewriting the ways of working monthly because they've got to be open to change. How important, I'm a big advocate, as you know, for coaching and mentor circles within businesses. How important are those interactions and those supports in relation to wellbeing? So wellbeing is something that is experienced uniquely. Everyone has their own definition of what good wellbeing means to them. And also depending on our life stage or where we are or our situations and circumstances is going to determine what is more or less important for us at any one time. However, the research also shows that by far the number one influencer of anybody in any life cycle, any life stage, regardless of what's important to them in terms of their values is actually our social connection and our social resources. And so particularly when we're under pressure and we're under the pump, what what a well-being foundation looks like at work is being connected to the people that you need to be able to get the work done that you need to deliver, Mm -hmm. have access to the decision makers, have access to peers that you can bounce ideas off when you're when, when you're not, um, you know, when you're not sure or you're trying to figure out something something for the first time and, and that's new. Yeah. And a team that feels socially connected, and what we're talking about here is, is a team that feels like they belong and are valued within the other members of the team are our core foundations for work wellbeing. Yeah. And it comes back down to core needs, doesn't it? Connection, belonging, all those things. How much has the hybrid work environment, how much do you think that's had an impact on wellbeing in, in, in corporate sector? So there, like, like everything and particularly um, something like wellbeing, there is no one-size-fits-all. Yeah, that's right. And what we've found is hybrid has brought some strengths regarding well-being and it's also brought some, you know, some some disadvantages or some some challenges when it comes to to well-being. Yes. So hybrid has given people flexibility, autonomy, mm. the ability to be able to do work in work in ways that um, you know, suit them but also bring out the best in them. Yeah. And it's also enabled um, people to actually better manage mm. family and personal priorities within the context of, of delivering. So there's actually been a massive wellbeing advantage that was actually uh, one of the, the most common sources of stress pre-COVID oh, was our inability. Yeah, it was one of our, you know, was our ability to be able to, you know, make our personal commitments and to be able to get that flexibility for the personal things that we needed. One of the downsides of hybrid and COVID, if we aren't leaders who are actively managing for and supporting the social connections and the social structures, is a lot of our work has become transactional. Yeah. And we need to ensure that the way, and I like your terminology, ways of work, Mm. that our ways of working value the relational just as much as the as the, the the transactional, and so that's where we're sort of like seeing a little bit of a drop. We're seeing people that are feeling a bit disconnected, and, and especially for 
employees that started with businesses completely hybrid during COVID who didn't even have the opportunity to come in and, and, and see people and actually have an orientation in, you know, in real life. Yeah, I, look, I, I'm a big fan of hybrid. I've always, even at, back at Mars, worked remotely the last few years and it's not for everyone and I understand that. I love connecting and I know a lot of people around, like most most humans, we're, we're wired to connect. But I think it's, yeah, setting up those ways of work where you have that connection, that overlap day during the week. Um, something I've got a few companies doing uh, win Wednesdays, failure Fridays. So it goes back to the gift mindset, you know, what's something you've been through, challenging or positive? What did you learn? What was the gift? And not just sharing, I did this or I did this, but how you move through it, because that could be a survival guide for someone else. Um, And, you know, you mentioned also like a lot of the leaders, you know, there's a lot of leaders, a lot of high performers at the moment being punished. I've just written an article on this. You know, we won't getting you another two IC because you're so good, and we're going to add twenty percent to your to your forecast next year, and you'll be doing more with less. And I think we've just got to be so careful that as leaders, we're not just looking at the bottom or the top, but this middle section of people, um, keeping them motivated, you know, and making sure they're they're appreciated at the end of the day. Yeah. And part of, and part of our supporting um, of supporting our performers is making sure that we're providing them with the you know the supports or the enablers for them for, for high performance. Yeah. And so what and so what we're seeing you know here is people taking away their support and increasing their their targets. And so you know what we're seeing is an absolutely unsustainable, unrealistic, mm. and um and a pretty quick recipe to 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 to, to either. Well, actually, if you if you put it into a flow, to stress, which leads into overwhelm, which can um, then have a trajectory which goes burnout, leaving, quitting, disengagement, and, and all the rest of it. And so, there comes a point where, as businesses overall, we need to be less short sighted around, I guess, and you know, reframing that our high performers are not human capital; they're human beings. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it's the whole being bit, you know. I always say we've become human doings, not human beings. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, I know through the pandemic so many people are like when I'm back in full swing, I'm not going to do that and I'm going to exercise and then they've, I call it like FOMO, fear of missing out on life, trying to do everything again. So what would you, what right now, if you've anyone listening, what what are three really good strategies that people could bring in you know, to, to really reset where they, they are with their well-being and whatever that means for them. It's actually, yeah, it's actually the one percenters of the small things. So we tend to overestimate what we can do in a day and underestimate what we can do in a year. And I'm sure you've heard that expression before. And it's, you know, and it's and it's so, so true. Mm. And one of the things that particularly when um, I'm speaking with my leaders is is that well-being starts with you. Yeah. And you need to prioritize yourself first. And what that also looks like is starting your day well. Mm. So even if we have people that are morning people and evening people. So some people will say, Oh, look, I'm an evening person, so I prefer to exercise in the evening or whatever the case mm. may be. But the reality is, is even if you're not a morning person, 
how you start your morning and what that looks like is actually then going to set you up for what kind of a day you are going to have. And if your day gets out of control, you're not going to end up beating yourself um end up beating yourself up at the other end of the day because you haven't got to the gym or you didn't get to the supermarket to buy healthy food or whatever the case may be. So I'm a big, big, big fan of hiving out the first hour of your day for yourself. And most people go, oh, my goodness, an hour first thing in the morning, you've got to be kidding me. You know, I've already got a jam day. Absolutely. And so the big thing is, is when you get up in the morning or when your alarm goes off in the morning, don't actually pick up your device and stop and, and start looking at your emails and everything on it. We all know what it's like when you get caught up in in that scrolling. But part of what I want to invite people to think about is we talk about we don't have enough me time. We talk about the fact that we don't have time for the self-care and the things that we need to do. But if you were to delay picking up your phone and looking at the external world, so what we're essentially doing by picking up our phone is inviting the external world or the emails or the work emails to come in and tell us the trajectory of what our day is going to look like. Yeah, yeah. So if you hive off that first hour of the day for yourself and you go for a walk or you go to the gym, just something which is around moving and getting the blood moving and your energy moving, you're already going to be starting better. And it doesn't have to be, doesn't even have to be that long, even just 10 minutes a day. Research um, shows us is actually enough to reset our our mood and give us sort of like the the happy chemicals and the endorphins that are going to energize us for the rest of the day. So we're not even necessarily talking about movement as fitness. We're talking about movement in terms of starting our 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 day, our, our day well, yeah. doing something that engages your mind. Mm. So if you're a meditator, it might be that. If you're not a meditator, it actually might be journaling. If you kind of go, oh, my goodness, she's getting a bit woo-woo here, just choosing something that you would like to read and learn for yourself and reading or listening to a podcast that interests you. So doing something that makes your heart sing Mm. and makes you feel like you've learned and using your terminology, Renee, giving yourself a gift for the morning is going to help you move forward with flow. And then the final thing is around setting an intention for yourself around how you want to be and show up for the day. Mm, So choosing to have a good day or if you're looking at your schedule going, oh, my goodness, this is like so jammy, I have no idea on how I'm going to get through this. If I set myself the intention of having a good day, it's rubbish because it's not. Mm. might be something along the lines of, oh, I've got a big day. Yeah. So acknowledging that this is going to be a little rush, this is not my ideal day. How I would like to um, end up with this day is having a decision on this, meeting with that person, getting this point across and moving, you know, moving the team agenda forward. Yeah. So those elements. So important. Are it's- things that all of us can do regardless of what's going on around us. Yeah, I love that. And we can only control it. I sort of I absolutely love those tips and I, I'm big on bookend habits. So whatever you do in the morning to start your day and end your day and doing something that lights you up in the morning. I'm I can't med I walk and meditate. I do walking meditation. Yep. People will laugh at because I'm always high energy. I just can't be still. But that works for me and finding what that is and even Monday mornings, Fleur, I do a lot of work around doing what lights you up Monday morning, sets a tone for your whole week. Absolutely. 
I can't believe how many people say, I love being with my team, but we do it Thursday afternoon. And I've had two people recently change that to a Monday morning and their whole energy has changed, you know, and it sets a tone for the week. The beautiful thing about all those tips, and which I, I love things that are practical that people can bring to life in real time, they don't cost anything. It just takes a minute or two to reflect on what will work for you. Yeah. Absolutely. And most of us have actually got an hour in our day if we put down our phones. Oh, totally. It's amazing, especially those out that use Teams and it adds up, you know, where you're spending time. And I think chunking phone time, you know, those sorts of things. I've started where I have, we've got a townhouse, I have my alarm go off downstairs. So I can't, can't, can't hit snooze. I'm a morning person though, but come down turn it off and I will not look at anything until I've had a shower and, and breakfast. And exactly. that's discipline that, you know, the old James Clear stuff, it's just you've got to do it every day, get into a flow. Um, oh, thanks for sharing those. Absolutely amazing, amazing stuff. Um, I wanted to ask you who who's on the leadership side, who's a leader that you admire and why? <laughs> anybody doesn't have to be someone famous oh this is this is really really interesting so I'm super fortunate in that I do get to work with a, a couple of great leaders so I guess I'm going to I'm going to use a, a current leader as, as opposed to a, yeah. a famous famous leader and I'll I'll, I'll share I guess share, share some of the some of the qualities um qualities with you around that so one of the most I think impactful and inspiring leaders that I work with is um, Gavin McKenna from ITW Construction um, yeah. Products. And one of the things that I particularly like working working with Gavin about in construction is that he is a successful male leader that also sees and understands the value of safety and well-being mm-hmm. and that people um the results that we deliver for people are just as important as the results that we deliver for for, for the for the business yeah yeah and so even prior to um covid we put in place a cultural transformation program so there was a lot of changes like everybody else yeah. you know three <laughs> divisions merging them into you know into into one closing down some manufacturing and warehousing um, sites, investing in other state-of-the-art facilities and so forth. So a, a lot of a, a lot of change going on. But one of the things that was important to Gavin and the hallmark of the program was that wellbeing was the foundation for the values, which was the foundation for building the culture, which was then the foundation for the strategy that the business articulated, including the way that we did things. Mm. And I hear a lot that men don't talk about feelings, that men don't value uh, feelings. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, one of the things that is really inspiring about Gavin is he takes it and goes, what a load of rubbish, and moves on and actually puts puts the building blocks in place to show that actually this is, you know, this this, this is not only, you know, mm. not, not only good for people but it's good for business. Yeah. And ITW um, Construction has year on year, through bushfire summer, through um, through through COVID, and through basically a whole bunch of changes and and, and transitions, yeah. has 
invested in well-being and people but also performed in terms of increasing market share, increasing sales and increasing profit growth and yeah. attract and attracting top talent because the value of people and well-being is very clear in the way that they do things. Love it. And people gravitate to that. And I think it's that's amazing. And look, the build I do a lot in building and construction. And got a, when you were talking about Gavin, I was thinking of someone I know that heads up one of the regions, very similar. And you can't you can't generalize males and feelings, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, right? You just can't. And I think that's great. And you're right. I think you do that and you get that culture and it's real and it's pure. And it, it is that culture that you're going to attract, do that work maintain it but you're going to retain and attract the right people which is absolutely and so um i don't buy in whatsoever to men not talking about their feelings what the role for us as leaders to do is to create a psychologically safe team where people feel safe to share their feelings and it's such a fine distinction but such a massive shift oh it's huge and i was going to talk about safe space psychological safety i think the businesses I work with that have that are doing quite well um, in regards to people's well-being. The ones that aren't, people don't feel they can speak up, they bottle it up, they go home and it gets on top of them. So just I think it's just about creating obviously trust and respect but creating forums where people can share mistakes, share challenges, move beyond that and know they're going to be supported in that. I think that's that's really, really key. Um, Absolutely. And then if you take that sort of like through to the performance, you know, to the performance place, because, you know, I still get a lot of leaders going, yeah, yeah, psychological safety is important, safety is important, well-being is important, we, we get that, tick that box, tick that box, tick yeah. that box. Now let's get back to business. Yeah. Um, what we need to, um, particularly people like you and I, Renee, need to, to communicate is that psychological safety is good for business. Oh, when we don't have psychological safety and people shut up mm. and they stop contributing and they stop making mistakes, we end up with disengaged people who by nature of disengagement are to performing versus their capacity. That's when we have psychological safety, if you look at Amy Edmondson's um, work coming um, out of out of out of Harvard, yes, psychological yes. safety is the foundation for exceptionally performing businesses. So yes. not average or great businesses, the exceptional performing businesses. So those that are growing at sort of like in double digits as opposed to single digits. Yeah, and psychological safety is the foundation of what it is that helps those businesses yes. to overperform. And it's ground up, like you said before. I think there's many people flipping it the wrong way. Got strategy, we've got structure, we've got systems, we've got skills. Now we'll look at the people. It has to be foundational. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, I do a lot of work on the gift mindset, which is basically a mindset where we unwrap, be willing and open to unwrap the lessons from challenging situations and people and positive situations and people and use those lessons or those gifts to progress ourselves and others forward, what would be an experience you've had that you've learnt the most from that you still use those skills, whatever they are, to push forward and share with others? Probably the best gift I can share is one of leadership courage. Mm. 
And it's still one of my most defining stories and it gives me the conviction to really go into bat and advocate for well-being, not only being good for people but also being good for work. Yeah. And actually it's really sad that we have to provide the business case for well-being um, versus actually just um, assuming that well-being is everybody's, you know, right, but let, 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 let's let's not go there. So during the GFC, I was the CEO of a textile company and we did um, homewares products, so things like um, cushions and bed linen and napery, so all the pretty things that dressed up your house but none of the things that were essential. So the GFC hit and our it literally felt like our orders dried up overnight. Everyone from David Jones through to Spotlight were cancelling orders left, right and centre. And I was one of the few businesses in Australia that still had Australian manufacturing, so I had a warehouse and a factory team. And so you couldn't go into the factory where there was like lines that were stopped and machines that weren't working and pretend that everything was going to be okay because it was highly visible on a minute by hour by day level that things were not okay. And I had a workforce that was absolutely petrified about job security. Is there going to be work and when when is there going to be work? I was also given a directive by the board of the parent company that I needed to reduce my um, headcount by 30%. with the expectation that when sales bounce back that we would also be able to bounce back and there are a couple of things that were going on for me first is the value of people Mm. so most of the people in this team had an average length of service anywhere between 15 and 25 years so they'd given a lot of loyalty to this this company the other thing in manufacturing as you know is australian manufacturing is closing down and they didn't have transferable skills and so for me it's like you don't do not take this kind of loyalty and be, what's the word, frivolous with people's lives and livelihoods. And I went back to the board and I said, if I can find a 30% way of reducing our overall costs for a period of time, does it need to be headcount? And they said, no, but we think the the only way that you can do this is headcount. And I said, let me me figure this out. I also got some legal advice. And I said, what if I was to ask our workforce or ask everyone in the workforce to work one day less a week for a period of six months that would reduce it by 20%, I can save it somewhere else. The legal advice came back and said that if there's one single person that says, no, you're going to trigger a whole bunch of, you know, redundancies and you're going to come into, you know, you're going to come unstuck, we highly recommend you don't do it. Anyway, I looked at it and my fundamental belief is that if you treat people well, they will do the right thing. And so I called the factory together. So I had 100 people in a dusty factory in the kitchen, in the canteen, and absolutely petrified, started the, this is what I think that, that, that we need to do and what I'm asking of you, of each of you, is to work with me to figure out how this GFC is going to play out. And I think I've got a way that all of us can have some work and can have some income while we figure this out together. And I need each of you to sign this form. I need each of you to sign this piece of paper that says, for the next three months, you're willing to give this a go. And I stopped and you could have heard a penny drop. And then I had sort of like the leader of the, the Chinese contingent, the leader of the Indian contingent come through and say, so we actually don't understand a word of what you've said. But we trust that if you think that this is the right way, 
that you will look after us and we will look after you. And I had a queue all the way around the factory where every single person lined up and said, I trust you and sign that paper. Amazing. And I came out of the GFC. Mm. I did not make one person redundant. While we dropped in sales, we increased um, market share and we were the smallest company in the overall group. So my little business was $20 million. The highest business was $150 million. And we returned not only a profit but the highest profit for the group during that period of time. Well done. So what if I asked you what gifts you got from that, like resilience, growth, curiosity, you tried something new, what, what, would, what would it be? What are the key things you learned? Integrity, yes. courage, yes. collaboration. And that, is, and that the basic assumption of if you treat people well, that they will actually come to the party and work with you. And the intention was pure and you had that trust and respect and it's so important. That's an amazing, amazing thing you've done. Like it's, yeah. So and, it, and, it, and it sits within the realm of psychological safety. So we talk about with psychological safety, it's not going to happen unless the leader leads it. Yeah. And so standing up in a canteen with a massive amount personally, professionally and businessly yeah. at stake, and I know businessly is not a correct word. I get what you is what we're talking, yeah, which is what we're talking about when it comes to leading with psychological safety. There's vulnerability, there's truth, there's honesty and there's, and there's, and, and there's, and there's risk. And it's having it ongoing so when things like that do happen, it's set. It's not doing it when, you know, I'm going to be, when shit hits a fan because that's when it happens a lot of the time. Absolutely. We could speak all day. I've got a few last little questions to ask you, just really quick trivia. Favourite word? Absolutely. That's your word? Love it. It is. Love it, love it. Favourite noise? I was trying to think up something like really clever, but the word that I love the most is absolutely. That's a hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Favourite noise? The rain on a tin roof. Do you know that's one of the most common ones we common get ones. in mind as well, especially when, especially if it's on a weekend and you're not working and you can go, oh, I can just lie here and listen to it. Exactly. Last day on earth, what would be your, like, dream dinner? What would you have? It's probably more around the people that would be at the dream dinner than the actual food. Mm. So I think it's the company you keep, the place that you're at, the enjoyment, the connection, the pleasure that makes an amazing meal. Yeah, I connect through food in life. You know, I love cooking, so I totally get that. And if you were to pursue another profession from what you're doing now, what would it be? Well, the closest that's almost happening in a parallel um, universe at the moment, um, interestingly, is um, yoga therapy teaching. And I'm working um, actually on bringing an integrated model of, of leadership where we bring our whole selves to work, which is a mind, heart, body, spirit um, together. And so, yeah, in an ide- ideal world, I would be in Bali running my yoga retreats and actually still supporting stressed yeah. out leaders like I am, I am and today it's a slightly alternate career yeah but it's integrating what you love and it's for the same purpose I've just finished my all my study in emotional clearing so it's a mixture of 
the spiral, um, kinesiology, muscle testing, and a traditional Chinese medicine. And I've started bringing all the clearing into group and one-on-one coaching, and it's just been that missing thing. And I, and they're so open to it. Yeah, absolutely. You probably can't can't see too much um, behind me um, at at the moment, but I've also just built this bespoke wellbeing office space yeah. where I've got boardroom um, tables and I've got a space that that hosts um, twelve people for for team development meetings. But I've also got space across the um, centre and in the courtyard for yoga mats and for different kinds of connective exercises where where thinking and doing and speaking and then we're actually embodying it and integrating it into into ourselves you know physically as well so yeah similar similar track Renee yeah we might have to chat offline about that one (laughs) absolutely how do people find you and how do they get hold of your new book leading well-being so you can check us out on blueberryinstitute.com. So you'll see details for the books if you'd like to buy um, books for, well, either for yourself or, or your team. So we also have team packages as well to support your team and also being well and um, leading well. And then, of course, you will find me on LinkedIn and Instagram at Fleur Hazelwood. Awesome. And we'll put all your details in our show notes so that people can Go out and I think it's a great book for teams um, and get your hands on it because it's awesome. I was going to lend this to someone the other day and then I'm like, never get books back. I'm keeping it. <laughs> so, Fleur, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've, I've loved your your information, your inspiration and all those gems. I'm sure everyone listening would have loved. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure to speak with you and have the opportunity to obviously speak with your leaders as well via the podcast. So. Yeah. thank you definitely thanks for those of you that are listening or watching um as always we'd love your review or feedback and just to let you know we've just launched our cook and connect one day retreat for leaders so jump on our website and you can have a look so the day kicks off with an italian cooking class then we do some walking meditation and then the afternoon is immersive workshops around reflecting reconnecting and re-energizing and I bring the amazing Sean Tucker in to share some of his knowledge as well so love to see you there or otherwise um, look forward to chiming in to our next episode you've been listening to limitless leaders podcast leading from the inside out to develop limitless self-leadership leaders teams and organizations to find out how you can accelerate your mindset your communication collaboration and connection to become a limitless leader sign up for our limitless leaders podcast series at www.renegerusso.com forward slash podcast series that's renegerusso.com forward slash podcast series